0: If your homeschool tends toward a classical approach, today's guest will show you some unique ways to bring the gospel message to life in your homeschool. Today, I'm delighted to welcome homeschooling mom Olivia Spears to talk about how the Charlotte Mason and classical philosophies of education synchronize with the presentation of the gospel. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Mladnik, your host. Today I'm talking with Olivia Spears about how the Charlotte Mason classical philosophies of education synchronize with the presentation of the gospel. Olivia Spears is a Kentucky native and dweller, wife to a lifelong homeschooler, and homeschooling mom of three. She holds degrees in theology and catechetics from the Franciscan University of Steubenville. In fact, it was her education there that first attracted her to homeschooling. In her studies, she discovered God's heart through creation, art, music, literature, and the liturgy of the everyday. She wants her own children to taste and see the goodness of the Lord in the same way. With a team of faithful Catholic catechists, artists, and editors, she creates catechetical resources that help Catholic families build a legacy of faith in their homes at IntoTheDeep.org co so it's into the deep just how it sounds.co.com. com okay welcome to the program olivia
2: oh thanks for having me lisa it's good to be with you
0: oh, it's just a joy to see you again thanks for making the time i know you're really busy and uh, have your hands very blessedly full
2: Very blessedly full. Well, I'm just happy to spend some time chatting with you. It's a joy.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, This is such an interesting topic. I always love to find how people of faith over the years have crafted and drawn from the wisdom of earlier times and, and created things that bless the next generation and the next. And we can see God's hand in it. We can see His design emerging in that. So, start off by just putting us in the context. Give us a brief description of the Charlotte Mason classical perspective on education, just so we're all at the same starting point.
2: Yes, I'd love to. So, um, the Charlotte Mason and classical uh, educational philosophies are different, but in most ways, they're very similar. Um, and, And really what they get to the heart of is Uh, Educating the whole person to be a lifelong learner. So uh, these approaches see education, not just building the intellect or strengthening the mind, but also just forming the whole person building character, uh, building habits, and, and really, again, you know, from a Christian perspective, forming someone into a disciple of Christ. And so, everything about our education then from, you know, astronomy to math, uh, can and should, you know, point us to the Creator, to becoming a a fuller person, um, and to to serve him and to live out his purpose for our lives. So the Charlotte Mason and classical educational philosophies, while again, while they differ a little bit, are are really just share that same heart of uh, encouraging people to be lifelong learners, of a very liberal or whole education, learning uh, about all sorts of things, uh, both with a great emphasis on great literature, living books, and knowing and learning through story and through study and how the past can inform our present and moving into the future. And so we'll get into more, too, of the the intricacies of each. But um, when I first started learning about the Charlotte Mason and classical education philosophies, all of my all of my theological and catechetical bells were going off uh, because it all made sense in light of how the gospel has been presented first, you know, by our Lord, of course, and also just throughout the ages and the history of the church. Uh, they seem to just be right in sync. So that was the first thing that really clued me in to even learning more about these is, oh, well, this fits right with, um, how the, how the gospel is best presented to and handed on to the
0: next generation. Wow, that's really neat. So, I'm going to assume that you're going to tell us about those dynamics mm-hmm. and all of that, but would you just define a term for us first? And maybe I'm jumping the gun, but I love the expression living books. Would you just explain that for our listeners?
2: Yes, I love that too. So living books are books that uh, stand the test of time, so to speak. You know, this is our this is our classic literature, but these are also uh, really fantastic picture books, you know, that um, use rich language. So, you know, not dumbing down the way we speak just because we're reading to a four-year-old, uh, but really presenting rich language. The way that it's written is engaging. It tells a story. It's not just kind of uh, you know, fluff for the sake of fluff or humor for the sake of humor. It's all part of, of a grander scale. There's usually always um, some sort of, especially of course in classic novels, some sort of Lesson or moral that's not, you know, shoved down your throat or anything like that, but that's just contained within the beautiful writing and the storyline. And so these are books that truly are after building character, building minds, building an understanding of the world in the context of what is good and true.
0: Mm, and and if you wouldn't mind, just make the distinction between, let's look at nonfiction for a moment, uh, say a textbook um, versus a living book on a nonfiction topic. Can you give us a little bit of insight there?
2: Yeah, that's great. And that's a point I want to talk about, too. So, uh, living books are are extremely engaging. You know, we can say that, you know, oftentimes textbooks are a little dry. They just kind of deliver the facts. You know, you're reading about something to learn about it, so they're just going to give you the facts about it. Whereas even with a nonfiction living book, say a biography or or even like historical fiction or a retelling of a historical event, you're going to see it not as a list of dates, you know, of of battles, or you know, a, a list of generals, or anything like that. But it's going to give you the full scope of what was the culture like at that time. What what was happening in society, in the church, in families. Uh, what were the people, what were the different people's perspectives? their different motives. So you just kind of take a a more well-rounded look with living books that are nonfiction at the the person or the event or the time period as a whole to really really be more immersed and and i'd argue too we remember it a lot better that way you know rather than drilling the the rote you know dates and and definitions i think that whenever we receive something in the context of a story or we we are almost dropped in the middle of it, you know, and we learn about like the food, you know, or uh, the the culture or the clothing. we we see it. it activates our imaginations, and we're we're much more likely to remember it and for it to really sink in. And so that's a fantastic upside too, of of living books, even in that covered you know the uh, historical events or people who truly lived.
0: Mm, And that's something that will inspire children to make up their own stories inspired by those true stories and act out qualities and characteristics of their heroes in those stories in a way that a dry textbook doesn't come close to inspiring. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. so, So, link us up with ways to present the gospel. Yeah. So, I
2: think that, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying with, uh, Kind of the lights going, you know, flickering on for me whenever I was studying the Charlotte Mason and classical education philosophies is that the way that, uh, the way that at least I w- was trained to present the gospel was largely just modeled after the way Jesus and the church has presented the gospel for the ages, which is, uh, it, the gospel is not meant to be presented as. As a list of facts or rules, like we said, it, it it's a person. You know, with the the gospel should be presented as uh, as God Himself. You know, he he is the good news, and uh, the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus is the good news. And so, I was drawn to how. Well, yeah, that makes sense. When you encounter the faith as not just like this set of things that I have to memorize so I can pass this test so then I can just like receive this sacrament and then be done, Um, it, it presents it as... This is a relationship with a person, a real living person. And here's the story that God has been writing since the beginning of time. And now you have a place in this story. You're not arbitrary. You're not just... a a person listed in a long list of definitions in a textbook. You know, you are, you play an integral role in the story that God is writing. And I think that when we see that presented, when we see the faith as presented as, uh, it's, it's this life, it's not just something to, to, be understood intellectually, so that we can just, you know, again check the box. Uh, but when we see that it's a life, then we are so much more. I think, you know, willing to say, well, then I'm I'm willing to give my life for this. You know, I'm willing to mm-hmm. live this life, um, because we won't we won't graft our lives based on pure facts you know that's not the way the human heart is formed um we have to be compelled in a deeper way in a fuller way um and in a more human way which is why it's it's beautiful that god has a human heart and so i think that that's the way the sacred
0: heart draws us in um so yeah Mm, yeah so um just start to to link us out to in the home presenting the gospel what does it look like
2: yeah. so, um, so, I'd love to kind of chat about different aspects about the Charlotte Mason philosophy and the classical educational philosophy Perfect. and kind of how that how that does sync up with a, a fantastic presentation of the Gospel and also, like you said, how we can actually do that in our homes. Um, so with we'll start with the Charlotte Mason, again, they're very similar, and there's so much overlap. so, Almost what could be said about one could nearly always be said about the other. But, um, but again, so the Charlotte Mason philosophy is really big on seeing the child as a whole person. So she really emphasized, we must educate the whole person and not just the mind. And again, that kind of goes back to what you and I were just talking about with living books. You know, it's not just um, seeing how, you know, how intellectual we can become, but it's really about the kind of people we become. And so that's also the way the faith is, you know, it's, we're not just supposed to know about it and then still, you know, forsake everything that, that we can say we believe to be true, you know, but it's supposed to be transformative. It's supposed to uh, educate our whole person. You know, the The faith is and the commandments are supposed to inform who we become through God's grace. And so, that really drew me in as well. And so, I think that I think that as moms in our home, you know, we're, we're probably already on the lookout for this, right? Uh, our children's education and, and their intellectual growth are deeply important to us, but we're also like breaking up fights, you know, and, and, and stopping, stopping kids men sentence and asking them if that's the way they want to speak their mind or if they'd rather (laughs) use different words, you know, things like that. So we're, we're already, you know, training their character and, um, I think that's probably a motive for uh, all of us, to some extent, for homeschooling is um, is is to train a whole person. You know, it's for us. I don't think it's about. It's it's not only about what schools our kids get into when they leave our home. You know, it's about what kind of people are they, and uh, are they are they tethered to their home in the church. Um, through kind of the formation that we were able to, very imperfectly, <laughs> but provide at home. And so, um, so that really stuck out to me too with the Charlotte Mason education. Charlotte Mason also talks about how education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. Those are kind of three big pillars for the way that she approached education. And it made a lot of sense to me in terms of living the faith with atmosphere, you know, it's about like our surroundings. So education is not just uh, allocated to a certain part of the world or a certain classroom or even a certain room in our homes. It's not just reserved only for there. Education is all around us. And I think the church has always done this beautifully. You know, what comes to mind first is like liturgical living, you know, and feast days and fasting and living out the seasons of the church. Talk about just a sure way to plug right into religious education being an atmosphere, you know? And um, so the church has been doing this. So we see, you know, how our children will get to to witness how things change during Lent, you know, the atmosphere of my home changes, Uh, or, you know, during Advent, you know, the atmosphere of of my home is different. And what does this tell me about the season, the liturgical season that we're in? And what does this tell me about God? And uh, so I think that that's a really beautiful way that, again, the church has been doing it forever. Um, <laughs> and then with it being a discipline, again, it goes back to that character building. Um, and of course, we know like discipline and disciple come from the same root word. And so if we're hoping to make disciples, then a part of them being at home is training of what does it look like to be a disciple? What does it look like to be faithful? So sometimes this is hands-on. A lot of times this is just from living, <laughs> you know, this is mm. just from, um mom gets up and prays, you know, every morning and kids see that, or uh, dad leads the rosary at night, or, hey, our neighbors are going through it. We're going to cook a meal, you know, or we're going to bake brownies for this person in our church who's suffering. Um, I think that's largely how this comes into to play is we just we, we form this discipline of what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? What, is it, what does that mean? What does that mean to lay down my life? And that's going to largely come through the day-to-day, the way we live out our faith, uh, frequenting the sacraments, loving our neighbor, uh, loving each other, you know. Um, so I think that comes through that. And then finally, with education being a life, uh, it's— The faith is alive and it touches every aspect of our entire lives. So again, it's not just reserved for, you know, religion is not just a class. (laughs) It's not just uh, a singular book or a box to be checked. You know, it's, it is a life. And they talk about that in the Acts of the Apostles. It talks about how the apostles uh, went around and told everyone about this life is what it says. And, and that's, that's what it is. That's what the faith is. It's, it's this life and so, even when we're educating our children in the faith, we get the chance to show them, you know, this, uh, you know, our our what we're learning in geography may not affect the way that I treat you, but this does, you know. Uh, but what our what we're learning about in uh, in our catechesis does this this informs my entire life, and uh, so I think that that really speaks to. How, how the catechesis as the church has presented it really overlaps with the Charlotte Mason method as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love so much of life and living is coming through, living books, the living Word of God, um, the way the seasons change, and the atmosphere in our home changes, and the atmosphere at Mass changes with the liturgical year. It just starts to feel like it's everything is sort of echoing back to that tabernacle and to that sacrifice, um, and that it gives us the opportunity with books that are rich in meaning, that are beautifully constructed, as you said, have stood the test of time, that speak to our hearts on levels that in some ways are transcendent through character and story and and uh, and understanding, as you said, people's motivations getting in behind behind the eyes of another human being and seeing another mm-hmm. perspective. Um, it just sounds like um, that there's a sense of communion that happens with this kind of approach, that we aren't separate from education or siloed from other people, that we start to move as one, you know, with that, as Mm -hmm. we take those brownies next door or whatever it is that we're doing um, as a family, that we are alive and enlivened Mm -hmm. by the way we live and learn. So beautiful. It makes so much sense.
2: It makes so much sense. And I think too, that that's um, you know, another thing that Charlotte Mason really emphasizes is uh, narration, and that just reminds me of, of what you were talking about. Of um, not, we're not isolated, and we're not, um, we're not just kind of a, a set aside. We're we're a part of a family, you know, the communion of saints, and we're a part of the story. And I think that when we when we are able to tell other people about the story and or about this life, that's what brings other people into the community, you know, and that's evangelization. (laughs) And so, with narration, the the narration is basically, um, instead of Instead of evaluating a child's uh, grasp of a particular topic through kind of like written tests or written work, uh, Charlotte Mason suggests largely relying on narration. That can be oral or written or even pictorial, where you are reading to a child or a child is reading by himself or herself and then tells you what they just read you know and and in in a way that's their own words um it kind of allows you to see okay what are they picking up on what stood out most to them things like that and so i think that when we're talking about learning the faith it's so great when we're able to hear our children tell us back these stories that we tell them, you know, about uh, stories from Scripture, or the stories of the saints, or parables that Jesus told, or stories from the life of Christ or Our Lady, you know, where we really get to see, oh, it's it's sinking in. They're really they're really taking that story on and they really have a grasp. And then, please, Lord, the hope is, you know, as we, as we live the life as we serve other people um the hope is that there will be an opportunity where they'll ask you know and say what why are you doing this or you know what what makes you different or what's your motivation and we have the opportunity then to <laughs> narrate <laughs> really you know and to tell them this is this is this is my faith this is what the lord has done in my life. And this is why I believe what I believe. And um, He loves you with the same love. And so I think that bringing people into the fold, so to speak, you know, can be a great blessing of just knowing who we are and where we've come from and where we're going and to be able to articulate that and to invite people into that too.
0: Mm, I love that. This moving story. I almost have this kind of whimsical image of, you know, those moving platforms you can get on at the airport that move you along faster, and like Mm -hmm. all these people who are on that moving platform, like almost those, like think of them being invited into the story, becoming a part of the story of salvation history, and we're kind of moving along in a a particular way. Also, as you were talking about narration, I just was listening to a talk yesterday by uh, an educator who's expert in brain science amazing life story and how he came to be an expert because of his daughter's own brain surgeries and everything. But he was saying that when you take notes on something or talk about it and have to synthesize it into your own words, it really deepens learning and makes it much more adhesive, (laughs) you know, it makes it stick. And so that narration thing, as they're putting it into their own words, their, their connection to the material deepens even more. And I just think that that's incredible.
2: Isn't it so cool that brain science backs that up too, you know, that, that brain science backs up these, uh, these very, traditional forms of education that it backs up the word of God, you know, Uh, (laughs) because we see in scripture too, you know, there's God put such an emphasis on remember, remember, write it down, put it on the door frames of your home, celebrate this feast every year. So you remember, remember, remember. And so I just get the biggest kick when our modern science is just, you know, catching up with with the lord (laughs) i always say that science is catching up with god i say
0: that all the time
2: it's hilarious yes yes oh that's so cool yeah i love that that is so cool and that's you know moving into kind of looking at the classical educational model too there's a great emphasis on memory work again for that same reason and um and it's like i said before it's different from the memory work of just like drilling facts, but the memory work in the true classical tradition is meant to be a, a revisiting of material again and again, so that it just sinks more deeply into our minds and really into our hearts too. And so, um, you know, John, Pope St. John Paul II talks about this in uh, Catechesi Tridente. He talks about, he says, the blossoms of faith and piety are, do not grow in the desert places of a memoryless catechesis. Mm. So he just, he just said, you know him, he just puts it out there. You know, he's like faith and piety will not grow in the desert of a memoryless catechesis. And even throughout this section, he addresses, he talks about like it not being wrote memory work you know and he 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 acknowledges the danger of falling into like uh turning the faith into just a list of like things to be memorized so he acknowledges that and he just talks about you know finding that balance of we need memory in our catechesis without falling into just turning the faith into something to be memorized rather than uh lived and so um but I, I love that emphasis that he put on there you know and and again he's just saying what the old and new testaments always emphasize, you know just that importance of we have to remember we have to remember who god is and um we have to memorize scripture so that we know and learn his voice and so that we mm. know what the truth is um i, I mean it's it, It's just vital in in our life of faith.
0: Yeah, and, and what occurs to me is you're saying we have to remember Scripture. Catholics can be a little blasé about that, whereas Protestants, you know, they drill and drill and drill and drill and drill. And what I've noticed is that in a moment of suffering, a Scripture that's committed to memory will come back to you, and it will come back to your children. The Holy Spirit will call it to mind that is a powerful connection back to the Lord and back to all the graces He wants to pour into every situation. Whether we're just scared because we're trying something new or we're dealing with a really heavy time, those scriptures are alive and they do feed our souls. And what a terrible thing if we didn't tuck them into our children's backpacks for the journey.
2: Mm, exactly. <laughs> they need oh, it. I love that image. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I think that's, I think that's one of the greatest benefits, you know, it's not about like, it's not about the badge of, oh, I have this many Bible verses memorized, but it's like, um, we're really making investments into the future, I feel like, you know, so that when they're, you know, teenagers, adults, they, like you said, they have that in their backpack and I'm with you during times of of great suffering. It's often scripture verses that I memorize that I lean on. They're a lot like our rote prayers. You know, when you can't say anything else, maybe you pray a Hail Mary. Or, you know, when you can't, when you have no other words, maybe you pray and recite Psalm 23, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And it also gives me words during moments of great joy too, you know, like the Psalms of praise and things like that. And so I I see those as similar in the sense of um, it's so beneficial just to have that to lean on during times of uh, suffering and temptation, but also times of joy and, uh, you know, questioning, discernment, things like that. Uh, So I just love that, you know, both methods place an emphasis on memorization and and being able to memorize and then tell someone else, you know, in our own words too.
0: Yeah, and I'm not super well-versed in this, but in classical education, the parents are also given a model for the different stages of learning for their child's life and what they most easily access and what leads to the next stage that prepares them in sync with their own development. And as you said, this brain science is catching up with the Lord because this is stuff that was all kind of trial and error and learned along the way, people discovering God's design in the way their children grow. So it's extraordinary as a framework to work from as a parent.
2: Absolutely. And it's like you said, it's kind of laying laying the different layers. You know, you just do like the foundational and then you build upon it as as they grow and as they mature and, you know, then they'll start asking even more questions or different questions, you know, and things like that. And that gives us such a great opportunity to, to layer the significance and the meaning in their minds and hearts too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so step us into maybe some examples of what this looks like in your home.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So for like I like I talked about before it's a lot of it is just living the life of faith, you know. So it's um th- Our children will pick up on so much of this just by witnessing us living sacramental lives, uh, praying together in our home in whatever way that looks like for your family, you know, whatever your devotions are um, or your season, you know, just praying together, uh, living liturgically, so celebrating the church's different seasons and feast days, being on the lookout for serving our neighbor, whether they're under our roof or, you know, across the world um being so just allowing our children to witness this is what this is what it looks like to to live as a christian and and not in some sort of stringent way of like you have to follow you know you have to like look at this certain way i'm not talking about externals but just this is what the heart of of someone of a great sinner trying to follow christ (laughs) you know this is what that (laughs) life looks like and um I think too, when, so, so, so that's just kind of like the biggest way that it's going to have like the most profound effect, you know? And then when we're kind of talking more about, I I would call it like formal catechesis, you know, we're just kind of handing on the faith. um, I'm a really big fan of what, again, both the Charlotte Mason and classical education models present as synthetic learning as opposed to analytical. So with synthetic learning, um, Karen Glass, uh, who's uh, an an educator, she wrote a book called Consider This, where she compares and contrasts these two methods of education. Um, It's a fantastic read, if anybody, and it's not super long. So I highly recommend it. I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a great reread, too. But. She gives the example when she's talking about synthetic versus analytical learning. She gives the example of learning about an apple. And so uh, analytical learning would just start you immediately on what are the parts of an apple? What's its life cycle? You know, what are the different varieties? Things like that. You just kind of immediately dive in synthetic learning is allows you to like experience the apple first so maybe you hold the apple you smell the apple you taste the apple you really get a sense of of what the apple is in its essence and then you move into a more analytical approach of Oh, okay. There I've, I observed that there are seeds inside this apple. What does that tell me about this life cycle? You know, things like that. And then you kind of get into the more analytical. And I think that is so true with how the gospel can be presented as well. Again, going back to what we said at the beginning is, uh, being able to offer our children opportunities to encounter the person of Jesus, uh, especially, you know, through the blessed sacrament and, and giving them an opportunity to say, Hey, you know, our faith isn't stagnant. Uh, It's, it's alive because of who God is and God has a great love for you and a great plan for you. And so we get to just first captivate their, their interest their their hearts their curiosity their imaginations of um, well who is god and and who am i in relation to him you know and we oh i mean the church is so good because she she does teach us synthetically you know we have we have the sacraments and we have the bells and the incense and we see our lord in the eucharistic host we taste him and so already our our engagement with god is in our whole person, it, it's it's with with our senses, um, we feel the holy water. You know, I mean, you know, we could just go on forever with with how um, how our faith engages our senses, and that's that's not arbitrary, and it's not performative, and it, it has a really profound influence on how we are to understand then the intricacies of the faith. And so, um, I think presenting the gospel instead of being like you know, we've all gotten this or have heard this instead of being like, well, the 10 commandments are the 10 commandments. So you just have to live them. And I don't really, really want to hear any other questions about it, you know, (laughs) Um, as opposed to, well, let's talk about who God is, and like the story that He was writing, and and how humanity fell, and kind of how our, you know, our our hearts are naturally turned from Him now. But through baptism, you know, things like that, and when, then when the Ten Commandments are presented in light of that, as as a way to say, well, th- these are the ways that we get to stay close to the One who created us and close to the One who loves us. This is how we honor Him and obey Him, and this is how we ensure that we uh, live a truly happy life, um, man, it just hits so much differently. You know, we can all feel that, how, how different it is when the the analytical things, the, the details of the faith are presented in light of the whole, which is communion and adoration of God.
0: Mm, yeah. Oh my goodness, it's just all so beautiful. Are there any kind of fundamental ideas when parents are looking at their lesson planning for kind of maybe just some principles or ideas for kind of dropping anchor in this sense of a living faith within their own curriculum?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we as parents can fall into the same trap with our Catechesis or religious education, as we do with all the other subjects in homeschool, is that we can uh, we can get really anxious about timelines, you know, and are we, are we teaching them everything that we need to? Are they going to know everything by the time they walk out my door? The answer is no, they will not, you know, and <laughs> and that's why, that's why we're trying to raise lifelong learners, both, you know, educationally and also in the heart, you know, in the faith. We're, we're never going to know everything this side of heaven. And so our, our goal is to just, uh, you know, light that spark and to to encourage them to keep learning as they grow. So we can so we can look at um you know our lesson plans and think, uh man, am I doing enough? You know, are are they getting enough? Or oh we're behind in history. We're also behind in religion. You know, things like that. We can get worried about that. And so I would probably advise the same thing. And and I say that because I do it too. I do that lot you know i i i can easily become beholden to my beautiful lesson plans and (laughs) and not allow for the grace of real life you know (laughs) to really influence those so i i say that as a natural fighter of being like you know off off my charted course so Mm. um but what i would advise telling myself is uh that we can just take a deep breath when it comes to that. You know, um, what's, what's most impactful is our attitude around you know, the gospel and the faith. So if we're, oh, I get, the, you know, I feel this way all the time, even about like uh, other subjects, you know, if I'm if I'm getting angsty or like short-tempered over, you know, a math worksheet, you know, that doesn't really create, uh, <laughs> you know, positive feelings about math, you know, in, in <laughs> the mind of my child. And so I would say same thing with religion. You know, if we're yelling at our kids because they're not done with their, you know, catechesis worksheet, uh, you know, that may, that may, we may need to just take a, take a breather and say, you know, it's okay if we didn't get that done today. So I think just maintaining a spirit of joy and peace about the presentation of the gospel, um, not, not being too anxious about getting through the checklist or getting through everything, that you want to do, because I'm sure everything that you've planned is fantastic because I'm right there with you. It's all (laughs) beautiful and would be wonderful to get to. And just most of the time, we just don't get to get to all of it. And so I think just, uh, oh, taking that to the Lord. And, um, you know, I think in this whole life of faith, uh, perseverance, Perseverance and showing up and trying again is half the battle, you know, as, as St. Paul says, it's that perseverance that produces character and, and our hope. And so, um, the Lord sees our efforts and I don't think he's primarily concerned with whether or not we get through our checklists. I think he's primarily concerned with <laughs> our hearts, you know, and, and the hearts of our children. So mm-hmm. I think when, uh, I think just mostly our mindset when we're coming to, to teach the faith is, uh. Man, we can allow it to just be a time of joy and communion as a family, um, a time of prayer, and and so I think just primarily having that mindset when you're looking at your curriculum or your lesson plans, uh, it's just going to do a world of good. Um, just presenting it as as a joyful disciple.
0: Mm, amen. And if we're if we're creating lifelong learners and lovers of the word and lovers of life. Um, We have to expect and point out to them, even, when God has stuck His head into our planned framework and said, I have a surprise lesson for you, you know? Somebody's not well, or somebody needs your help, or whatever that might be okay, we're rolling, Lord. This is a living framework. And so, we expect this life to have surprises too. And that's really good for them to see you being agile in that way. And no mother's going to have a sense of humor about it at all times. Let's just face that. But them seeing our limits and our frustrations and our regrouping and our, you know, stopping for prayer and and giving ourselves another chance, they absorb that too. So, it does not, as, as you said uh, hilariously, our perfect plans for everything can go awry. And sometimes that's God reminding us that keep our eyes on Him.
2: Oh, yeah, you said that perfectly. You know, we can start to kind of teach them the, the idea that God's plans are better than ours from an early age, you know, by how we kind of regroup and reroute and just respond to the grace of the present moment
0: amen any final thoughts for us as we wrap up today oh this has just been such a joy I
2: think that um I think that I would just encourage all the moms who are listening to uh to just I don't know take a deep breath when it comes to catechesis and religious education to uh to just get to lean into the Lord when it comes to handing on the faith and I think just it's a good reminder for us all to know that you know they're his children first and foremost and that he's giving us the grace through our vocation and through our role as moms to hand on the faith. And so, I don't think we need to get too sweaty about it. I think if we're focusing on, you know, (laughs) living a sacramental life, staying close to Him in prayer, and just talking to our kids about Him, you know, sharing about Him, candidly telling them everything about this life, right, Um, that we're already well on our way. So, I would just encourage um, us all, you know, instead of getting frantic about the list, maybe just take a moment to, uh, get in the Word, or spend time with Him in adoration, and that'll probably settle any sort of angst we have.
0: Oh, amen, amen. And Olivia, can people get in touch with you at IntoTheDeep.co? Absolutely.
2: We have a contact page there, and we're also on Instagram at IntoTheDeepCo, so you can DM us there.
0: Okay, fantastic. Everybody, don't miss out on being in touch with and enjoying uh, all the, the wisdom and the creativity and the, the beauty of this dear heart, Olivia Spears, at IntoTheDeep.co, and again at, on Instagram, IntoTheDeepCo. Um, God bless you and your family, Olivia, and thank you so very, very much.
2: Thank you, Lisa. You
0: too. God bless you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't go away. We have our short feature coming right up.
1: Hi, I'm Dave Palmer. I am one of the instructors at Homeschool Connections. I teach a class called An Introduction to the Summa Theologia, and that's what we've been doing once a month here, is Traveling through the Summa, and this is the last one of the year, and so I thought we would end with a bang and talk about really the most important topic uh, that we could talk about, and that is Jesus Christ, which comes towards the end of the Summa. And so we'll uh, talk about him today and how he fits into uh, the whole overall you know, study of the Summa. All right, so at the beginning of the Summa, as we talked about in a previous video, we learned about God, okay? And God as in the essence of God, God, the most holy trinity, can be a little bit mysterious to us because we don't see god in this sense and we learn about his attributes but it's kind of hard to figure him out and thomas does say that we never fully comprehend god and you know is god We know he's fully spirit, but we don't really know a whole lot about him. And sometimes we think, oh, he's just kind of this old bearded wise man in the sky, which, of course, is not the case. But we learned early on that God has seven attributes, and these are them. God is perfectly simple. He is perfect. He is good. He is immutable, he is infinite, he is eternal, and he's one. Okay, so those are the attributes of God that you learn early on in the first like 10 questions of the Summa. St. Thomas Aquinas defines God. Okay, but he's talking about again, God in his essence, God as the Trinity. But later on in the Summa, we find out that this God actually takes on humanity. It becomes one of us. And it's really a very amazing, amazing mystery of our faith that, that God did that. And so here are a couple of the questions that we'll go over that have to do with Jesus Christ. And first of all, St. Thomas asks, was it fitting that God should become incarnate? Okay, Fitting just means, was it appropriate that God should take on human nature and st Thomas. first of all oftentimes we think that god became incarnate like on christmas day but in reality uh, god became incarnate at the annunciation right when the angel gabriel appeared to mary and she did her famous fiat and said let it be done to me according to thy word and that's when god became incarnate inside of her womb right so interestingly st thomas says okay why did god take on human flesh, human nature, right? The very nature of God is goodness. Okay, that was one of his attributes, right? That he is good. Hence, what belongs to the essence of goodness befits God, but it belongs to the essence of goodness to communicate itself to others. Hence, it belongs to the essence of the highest good to communicate itself in the highest manner to the creature. And this is brought about chiefly by his so joining created nature to himself that one person is made up of these three, the word, a soul, and flesh. Okay, so this was a great act of goodness, a great act of love that God became human. Okay, that's why he did it, because he is good and he wanted to spread his goodness to uh, people. And, And there's other ways that God expresses his goodness in a lesser way. All these cool creatures that we see all around us every day tell us something about God, but never to the fullness that Jesus Christ did, right? All right, so then he goes on in another question in the Summa, says, was it necessary for the restoration of the human race? That I mean, did, did, Jesus, did God have to become human in order for us to be saved? And in this... Oh, and by the way, with these pictures here, uh, I often ask the students, you know, what what is necessary for us to be alive? You know, we we have to sleep, we have to breathe, we have to eat, right? There are some things that we do that aren't necessary, uh, but there are some things that are absolutely necessary, okay? So that's why these pictures are up there. And Thomas says, a thing is said to be necessary for a certain end in two ways. First when the end cannot be without it, as food is necessary for the preservation of human life. Secondly, when the end is attained better and more conveniently, as a horse is necessary for a journey. Okay, Thomas didn't have cars back in the 13th century, so the horse was the way they traveled. All right, so he's saying here, God could have restored the human race in other ways. He didn't have to take on human flesh, but it was the best way. It was the most fitting way for him to do it. And therefore, in that sense, it was necessary. All right, so when we have God and man coming together together, you know, how how did that happen? And he says, did it take place in the nature, okay? Was there one nature? And in these pictures here, we have human nature, we have cat nature, we have snake nature, right? And Thomas concludes that, well, it was not in the nature because Jesus had two natures. He had the nature of man and the nature of God, right? Because the nature of man and God are incompatible because in our nature, we have a body, In God's nature, he he does not have a body, and so you can't join those two natures any more than you could join the nature of a human being and a snake, because we're incompatible, because one is rational and one isn't, right? So no, it was not the nature. Then he says, well, did the union of the incarnate word take place in the person, okay? So here are four people, four persons, and Jesus Christ, of course, was a person, but the difference was that in the person of Jesus Christ, you had two natures coming together in one person. All right, Jesus Christ was fully human and fully God. So yes, the union of God and man took place in a person. So two natures, two wills, um, and but one person okay So that that's uh, something that we learned in the class as well. All right, this was just a very, very quick overview of a few of the articles in the Summa about Jesus Christ. It comes towards the end of the Summa and then it starts talking about the sacraments and the final things and that kind of stuff. So a very important part of the Summa is Jesus Christ because that is where we find the union of the two natures of man. And God in one person, Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching. God bless you.
0: And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you, and thank you for joining us.